Welcome to the Harper's Podcast. My name is Violet Luca, and I'm the web editor. Despite the swelling tide of nationalist politicians who like to argue otherwise, migration is intrinsic to the story of the human race. What is different now is the sheer volume of people leaving their homes, which is larger than at any other point in history. The International Organization for Migration estimates that there will be 405 million migrants by 2050. These unfathomable numbers don't express the difficulty and heartache that such movement carries, or what happens when, while en route to a new country, one of those migrants goes missing. In Without a Trace, published in the February issue of Harper's Magazine, Matthew Wolfe recounts Javed Hotak's search for his brother Masood, who disappeared shortly after reaching the Greek island of Samos. I spoke with Wolf about the process of reporting the piece and larger issues around what happens when someone goes missing. Here's our conversation. This story seems like such a huge, huge story, which spans many different countries and such a great expanse of time. So can you start off by talking about how you met Javed and a little bit about how the reporting went about? I'm a PhD student at NYU where I study missing persons, and my dissertation is on missing persons in in an American context. But I got really curious about all the migrants who go missing every year. Um, And there are are migrants who go missing on the the United States southern border, and then there are a lot of migrants who were going missing during the big exodus from the Middle East and in Africa, um, which is in the, the Syrian crisis. And a lot of them were leaving their home countries and not making it. And there's this special problem of being a migrant and going missing because there's nobody responsible for looking for you. It's very different than going missing at home. So I was, I was generally really curious about this. And I kind of wanted to find somebody who was actively searching for a missing relative. Like there, I, I liked the idea of, and there are all the there are sort of two victims in these situations. There are people who go missing, where presumably something has happened to them. Then there are the families who are in this impossible situation of trying to find missing kin without the the infrastructure of of a government to help them. So I really wanted to find somebody who was in this this unique and singularly sad position. So I started, I, I tried a few routes that, that completely failed. And then I started looking on these Facebook pages that people set up in uh, at the height of the crisis where family members of missing migrants could post about their lost kin. They'd post like photos and a little little information about where they'd been leaving from and where they were going. And I looked through, there were a few that were in English, and I saw one posting that appeared on a couple of these pages, uh, which was the, the main character, uh, Javed, had posted about his brother, Masood. And most of the postings were just like a photo of the missing person and their name and maybe a little bit of information. And Javed had all this information about his brother's case. Like he had, you know, uh, tips he'd received and people had been traveling with. And it looked like he'd really been investigating it a lot. 
So I thought he would be an interesting person to ask about this. I think I sent out a few emails to people. But one of the difficulties of reporting this was a lot of the people who have missing family members are themselves undocumented, which means they may be uh, reluctant to approach authorities to help them in the search. And it also makes them, from a reporter's perspective, really hard to find. By sheer luck, Javed had been the subject of a, a BBC piece um, a few months before I was trying to find him about translators in the Afghan war who had been denied asylum in Britain. So I was able to use some people who'd been involved in that story to get his contact information. And I got very lucky in that he ended up getting a visa very shortly thereafter, and then later on got a travel pass. So I'm sorry, that's a, that's a very long answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. I'm listening to you describe all of this stuff. It's very clear that it's not just that this person has gone missing. There are multiple forces of different states, different state politics, um, different social stuff sort of going on, right? Yeah, it's a total, it's a total bureaucratic mess. Right. And part of the reason it was, uh, I wanted to figure out a character who could kind of create a narrative line through all this mess because from his perspective it's very simple he just wants to find his brother mm. and when you have a protagonist who has this this sort of straightforward goal and as in Javed's case is very very ter- determined to pursue it it creates a kind of neat line for the reader through some very complex material which you can then hang off that mm-hmm. and um, Javed also I, I got enormously lucky in a number of respects and not only did he end up going on this journey but he happened to be at just Admittedly nice person, and was allowed me to tag along, and was was just a, an incredibly gracious um, person to write a story about. So, which isn't always the case when you're trying to write about somebody. So, right. I got yeah. lucky in a number of regards. Yeah, and I I mean, you mentioned that you're writing your dissertation on the concept of missing people, and I wanted I wanted to ask if you could explain the concept of missingness. Oh God, and what that or <laughs> Maybe, well, I don't know. You never ask an academic to like define something, but oh, like you no, know what I no. mean. Like, run, run away. Run uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I just did. I just defended my uh, dissertation proposal, so I'm oh. I'm probably in the absolute worst moment to give a, a succinct answer to this. But <laughs> but in a short way, it's probably when somebody goes unaccounted for in a kind of conspicuous way, and their family members or other people in their social network are compelled to find them, and this can take a whole bunch of different forms. I mean, it can take from somebody who's, you know, has turned off their phone for an inordinate period of time and uh, can't be located, and that makes people concerned, to a 13-year-old girl who's kidnapped by a stranger, which doesn't happen very much, but when it does, it's 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 noticed and and gets reported on to something like this, where a thousands of people can go missing but the family members may not have the kind of infrastructure or the social capital or the resources necessary to find them. And there's not maybe a particular urgency on the part of the EU or even sometimes on the part of their home countries to sort of locate these people. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a form of missing persons too. And it was interesting, the link between migration and missingness, that basically any time large groups of people have to travel uh, long distances, particularly under duress, a percentage of them always go missing. After the Great Migration, or even during the Great Migration, uh, from the south up to the north of the United States, there was this huge sustained effort that hadn't been reported on much about, actually. 
of people trying to find family members that had been displaced or that had been lost in the shuffle. So there was actually a long-running radio program in Chicago that was called Search for Missing Persons, where you could call and say, I'm trying to find this person who's in New York, or I've lost my cousin, or I've lost touch with my brother. And then during the, when the immigrant communities, if you read immigrant newspapers in the second half of the 19th century, early 20th century, they were filled with ads for missing persons of people who had come over from, from their home countries. A genealogist some years ago did this excavation of the Boston Pilot in an Irish newspaper and found like tens of thousands of ads of people saying like, you know, my, my cousin Seamus came over from County Cork and we haven't seen him for three years. Does anybody know about him? Same thing after slavery when these families were split up and their people had been sort of forcibly migrated all over the U.S. South. There was this, Heather Williams, a historian, wrote this gorgeous book called Help uh, Help Me Find My People about uh, the effort of freed slaves to find each other. And so anytime this, I mean, so this is only the most local or recent instantiation of a phenomenon that's sort of that's historical and has happened over and over again and always involves trauma and always involves a desire to close a breach that's been opened. And I mean, would you characterize this wave of migration as being different from those other waves in other ways? Because it's like, obviously the Facebook thing is a huge yeah. difference, but then there are EU, EU privacy laws that prevent yeah. certain things from happening. It's funny. It's both, no, it's a great question. I mean, it's both the same and different in the way that sort of any, when you try and compare our use of phones now with, with 19th century newspapers, I mean, there was the same effort, but it, I don't, people were not receiving text messages from their, from their uh, family members up to the moment they went missing. So that's, that's very different. Um, she also say, I mean, this the crisis, the migrant crisis in the EU. If you can even, if crisis is even the right word for it, has abated. I mean, there are less people coming from far fewer people coming from Syria right now. But it's mm-hmm. something that, given uh, the kind of displacement that's that's happening right now, I mean, the UN keeps releasing these reports saying that, you know, more people have been. Uh, displaced by conflict and violence than at any other point in history. Mm-hmm. And because of climate change and because of a number of other factors, this is almost certainly only going to get worse. So there are only going to be more people who are displaced by migration or in these situations where families get separated. So it would be nice if there were an effort made to figure out before this happens how tracking might whether whether it's a whether it's a governmental issue or whether Facebook decides you know to track can, us more. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I I keep hoping that Facebook will. And if anybody at Facebook is is listening to this, feel free to email me if they are are trying to recuperate their image and want to invest a, a billion dollars in finding missing migrants. I I think that would be money well spent. Yes. And tracing Javed's steps, there are, you know, there's there are these moments where he hits different roadblocks where, aside from the sheer volume of migrants, there are other factors making this crisis worse, so like the EU privacy laws. Yeah. So what are some other things, I guess, that sort of get in the way of someone who even, like, Javed has a pretty... He has a lot of resources that, again, mm-hmm. ma- most people do not. Yeah, he's somebody who in some ways is is uh, relatively well-prepared for this. He had enough money to pursue this search, 
which is you know, not a given. He had more than anything the ability to travel freely, which is enormously difficult to get. I mean, he had to get a visa and then he had to get this very special travel pass that basically every time we showed it to somebody, like when we'd get on a ferry or when we'd get on a train or when we'd get on a plane, would would look very carefully at it. And he got you know searched any number of times. And then there's a larger issue of trying to actually get authorities to, to help or to take the case seriously. I mean, it was something where I mean, in Greece, for example, I mean, they're they're so taxed resource-wise that actually getting the Greek police to launch an investigation, it's just not it's just not going to happen. So this doesn't always happen in the United States, but there's at least the assumption that if someone you knew went missing, you could go to the police and there would be some kind of response. There'd be some kind of search. There'd be an investigation. And that's just not the case for, for families of missing migrants. So they're basically going at it alone. So if you could imagine like a family member going missing and you don't even know really what country they went missing in and you have to search for them by yourself, I mean, every obstacle that goes with that is is there. So, you know, you're following him around to all these different constabularies, yeah. law enforcement offices, <laughs> yeah. any sort of random authority that may have some information you also account for the amount of just how trauma is affecting his body and just how at a certain point just gets incredibly ill there's no physical reason for this but it's just he cannot handle this situation and and extrapolating this and thinking that there are hundreds of thousands of people just like him that will be totally marked for life by this experience and there's going to be an entire generation of people marked by this experience yeah it's funny i mean and this isn't of course um specific to families of missing migrants i mean missing persons show up of of with these kind of traumatic abysses are are all over i mean from i mean anytime whether it's state disappearances or whether it's migration or whether it's uh, I mean, any number of contexts in which people go missing and there's the families denied some kind of narrative about what happened and is sort of left in, in, in limbo. It's an, a sort of invisible cataclysm mm-hmm. since I try and think about sometimes the idea that there's no there's no body that you can photograph or there's no blood usually. There's just this absence. Right. And it makes it very difficult to record photographically or to to mark that kind of absence in a way that, that, that always resonates. So it's a, it's a problem, both the logistics of searching, and then there's a problem that goes, a sort of higher order problem of, of memory and of, and of uh, a kind of uh, social accounting of this. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's really deeply sad. Um, but there are things that governments can do to make the problem better or to help alleviate some of the difficulties. The EU has so far not allocated very many resources to finding missing migrants, but when they have, they've had a, a fairly good success rate. For example, the Lampedusa, this awful shipwreck off Italy, and I want to say 2013, the Italian government put huge resources towards identifying bodies and contacting families and trying to sort of close this gap between people who'd gone missing and families who were looking for them. And they had, I want to say, about 60% success rate, which is high for these types of situations. And so it's not something about which nothing can be done. You know, we have this myth 
of an open border. Mm -hmm. And that is something that the president says almost daily, hourly, whatever. And the story that you describe shows that that is absolutely not true. Not only that if you happen to make, like there's so many ways that you can be stopped and that you can be detained for years at a time and no one could, in theory, know where you are and you're just, you're without papers, you're sort of stateless, you're just in a weird Bulgarian cell. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. It's an open question about sort of how often that, and in some ways, the the idea that I, I think you're first off, I think you're absolutely right. Like, there's the there are so many obstacles to making this kind of journey that the idea that you can just call borders open is is completely nuts. How how common or how often it happens that somebody can actually be displaced for long periods of time is a question that nobody has an answer to. I mean, theoretically, if you're in the EU, there aren't any closed prisons. You can always have some kind of communication with the outside world. Are there sweatshops in Turkey or some other places maybe where people get held for a period of time and they're, they may be held incommunicado? Like, probably. But that closed prison or that, that hole that people can fall into, I mean, exists in migrant folklore and is, if it isn't a literal thing that exists, at least in the EU, it's certainly something that exists in a, in a metaphorical way or certainly a feeling that people can just kind of disappear. Um, often, unfortunately, those people are not in a hole. They're, they're, they're dead. But that hole is, it definitely means something. And over the course of your story, you make it clear that Javed is someone who will not believe that his brother is dead until he sees that hole or sees some sort of conclusive proof his brother no longer is alive yeah and i and i i I get that completely i mean when i talk with families of missing persons i mean they you may get to a point where rationally you believe that a missing family member is dead but absent some kind of concrete evidence you're not going to give up looking. You're not going to stop, and 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 because what if they're not? The Jamie Kloss case that that's in the news right now. This 13-year-old girl who was kidnapped, went missing for 90 days, then was was miraculously found and is is alive and is physically okay. I mean, those cases exist, and they're not common. And the outcome is usually a lot more grim if somebody's been missing for 90 days and is, you know, kidnapped under those kinds of, or goes missing under those kinds of circumstances. But families hear that, and you can't, you can't just ignore that. You can't just sort of, you know, say like, you know, I'll just move on. I mean, there are many instances in life where the exception to the rule sort of dictates people's expectations about what is the norm. Totally. Right, where it's like, oh, well, yeah, you can pull yourself out of poverty, and yeah, you can find anybody as long as you don't give up and you just keep yeah. looking. And, like, and, and it's it's hard because we love those stories. Like, yes. really, those are, those, are, <laughs> yeah, those are really inspiring to read, and, and but they're, yeah, as you say, yeah, they're not the norm. I wanted to go back and talk a little bit about the notion of trauma and that... Javed and his brother are coming from an air, a part of the world that has been, for at least the next hundred years, <laughs> probably will be, you know, there's going to be a war going on because of actions by the U.S. You know, places like Iraq where Saddam Hussein was bad, but there was sort of a consistent sort of, there was consistency, and now that consistency is just gone. Mm-hmm. So, and then this fact that so many people are leaving 
and then either disappearing or just sort of not returning it's creating this huge hole right this huge mm -hmm. trauma the u.s doesn't figure very much in this story i don't i mean we i, I mean but as you say i mean they're have deep responsibility for for what's happening in afghanistan right now and they certainly bear some responsibility for the fallout of for the fallout of that that extends to people having to leave the country and people going missing and the families who may be in afghanistan or may be out of it having to deal with that and that's i don't think that's a responsibility that we're going to be particularly eager to own. I mean, you can see it more proximally when they've been on the Mexican border. The same thing is happening, where people go missing under a different context. I mean, in, in a different ways, but there are huge numbers of families in Central and South America dealing with the exact same thing. Um, Robin Reinecke and the Calibri Center uh, on the border are doing work trying to pair families who are missing persons with people have been deceased and trying to figure out what happened but it's so it's a it's a problem that's in our neighborhood too yeah the u.s is somewhat involved in those as well where yeah. a lot of the violence that they are fleeing is a direct result of u.s intervention yep. in the 80s and stuff yep, like that we've got yeah we don't need to look to to missing yeah. persons in afghanistan to to find our feel really bad about our con contribution to the problem um I don't know. This doesn't have to be like angry lefty podcast, <laughs> like angry lefty discussion. Uh, the but only worth pointing I, out. The only reason I came on here was I heard it was an angry lefty podcast, so they won't let me on Chapo. So damn. Oh, damn. <laughs> well, this is your audition. Um, yeah. Can you talk about the actual process of reporting this story? Because again, it seems sure. very. Yeah. Intense. So I actually made a trip without Javed uh, in the summer of 2017, where initially this was before Javed had a, had a travel pass. And I figured I'd go and I basically tried to find his brother or went and tried to, to do some reporting around it in, in Greece and Turkey and sort of tried to learn more about the, the situation of missing migrants and didn't find anything concrete about his brother and then came back and then made another trip when he told me that he was he'd been he'd gained this ability to actually make the trip himself and that was really the story I wanted to write as opposed to me going around Europe and trying to do the investigation I really wanted it to be about the families so Chavez very graciously invited me to to tag along with him and so I met him in Athens and then you know, followed him as he as he went through Athens and then went down through the Greek islands. And then on this, we took a third trip when he went to Bulgaria and, and Turkey. And he was a, an, an incredibly sweet travel mate, uh, particularly for somebody who was going through what can only have been a, a completely anguishing experience. And yet he was willing to um, have a reporter around because I think he felt that the story was a story that needed to be told and was not one that was was specific to him but it took a while to for him to to go through these countries and I, I think it was was pretty exhausting emotionally and physically and we were living in in uh, sort of close quarters together I mean we were staying in his hotel room and we were sleeping on ferries together and we were sleeping on trains together and this is a story about you know a person interfacing with bureaucracies, which mm -hmm. 
So there was a lot of waiting around, but also Javed was not given to wasting time. So when he was on island and it was clear that there was his brother was not on that island, it was on to the next island. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of traveling. Um, it was a lot of sort of being on the go all the time. Are there other things that governments could do or just because I mean again looking at the story there are so many times where these bureaucracies are just not compatible well I mean a, a, com- a comparison would be made to like when there's an airline crash like when when a plane crashes there's a massive effort made to identify to figure out what happened to identify unidentified bodies to locate family members in some ways it's a much easier task I mean for a flight flights are tracked their passenger manifests it's a discrete number of people it's a discrete number of people it's not it doesn't happen that often mm-hmm. at the same time huge sums of money are spent on these kinds of investigations but there's an expectation that that money will be spent and that's money that governments are willing to devote uh, if at the same time there's not been the same kind of resources allocated to identifying the uh, bodies from migrant shipwrecks or to bodies found in other uh, dying in the desert in Mexico or Texas. And governments can can do that. They can hire forensic anthropologists. They can put resources towards, they can make sure that there are databases available to family members who are trying to locate missing loved ones. There can be outreach to immigrant communities who may not know how to search for a missing family member. But um, so there are things that governments can do to to ameliorate the problem. And it's just a question of will. It seems, yeah, it's like a more of an acceptance of guilt or acceptance that there is a problem. It's again, it's. It's easy to say, well, this isn't our problem. Yeah, and that's one of the difficulties is that, I mean, whose problem is when Masood Hotak goes missing, whose responsibility is that? And it's it's very easy for the EU or for the Greek government or for the Turkish government or for the Bulgarian government or for the Afghanistan government to say this is not our problem. And they're, they're not entirely wrong, but... When, when that happens, then uh, you have a situation like Javed's where he's basically on his own. All right. We'll end it there. Thank you so much for this really wonderful story. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Harper's Magazine podcast, produced and edited by Violet Luca. The music is cut and shoot by Febrifuge. Harper's Magazine is the oldest general interest monthly in America, exploring the issues that drive our national conversation through long-form narrative journalism and essays. To get 12 issues for $21.97, visit harpers.org save.